Today's Issues continues on AFR with your host, Ed Vitagliano. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. Joined in studio by Fred Jackson and Steve Jordahl joins us. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. All right. Okay, Steve, uh, you have uh, an update, you said. Well, yeah, they had a press conference in Oklahoma City uh, on this uh, shooting. uh, And we've learned a couple more things since you guys started the show uh, an hour ago. Um, We now know the reason that this guy came with guns. He was after a surgeon. His name is Dr. Preston Phillips, who had done back surgery. And uh, the shooter, whose name is Michael Lewis, was still in pain. He left a little manifesto or a little note that said, I'm coming after Dr. Phillips and anybody that gets in my way. Apparently another doctor and two other people, Dr. Stephanie Hewson, Amanda Green, and William Love got in his way. Uh, we also found out that he bought the, he bought the gun about four, three hours before the shooting. He, well, no, I, I should take that back. He had a, an AR-15 and a handgun with him. They hadn't detailed, at least I haven't read, which one he used for the shooting. Yeah. Um, uh, but he bought an AR-15 three hours before he went to the hospital. This is, uh, let me just commend the Oklahoma City Police. I guess every law enforcement is pretty much on alert these days, but they got their first 911 call at 4.52. At, um, at 4.52. Three, see, a third-party uh, on-site call nine. Oh, the doctor said call nine one one at four fifty-two. At four fifty-three, they got their first nine one one call. At four fifty-six, three minutes later, the Tulsa police officers arrived. At four fifty-eight, the gunman was dead. Now, was this was the gunman dead by a at self- his own hand? Okay, mm-hmm. but I mean they but, were. But because uh, I had heard coming. earlier reports was that he may have killed himself in response to the fact that the police were They there. were coming. Yeah. 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 From well, the time they got the first 911 call to the time that they uh, shot this guy dead, it was four, or the guy shot himself dead, it was four minutes. Yeah, no, that, that is uh, obviously, uh, you know, well done for them. Let me ask you this. Um, and we, at this point, we don't know which weapon the gunman used to end the lives of these people, but... The AR-15 that he bought three hours earlier, was that bought legally? Yes. Okay. So they had a background check? I don't know. And- it was, if they did, they did it on the spot, and he walked out with yeah. it three hours before the— Okay. Um, I, you know, the, with regard to these shootings, the, the, the John Adams quote came to my, atten- to my mind about um, ha- uh, this Constitution being only good for religious per- people. Right, moral people. So I looked it up, and I want to give you a little context. This, I thought, was um, remarkable— uh, foresight from John Adams. Uh, he says, in this, this is a letter to the officers of the 1st Brigade of the 3rd Division of the Militia of Massachusetts. He says in the body of the letter, because we have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passion unbridled by morality and religion, avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Well, so those, his argument there about human passion, 
Yeah. Mention, mentions revenge. And I, the government has no power to stop that. I mean, you can't stop someone that has those passions. The government can't. Well, and this is the argument that the pro-gun people in this country make, is that if the government is going to use these horrifying events to start restricting our freedoms, then we are no longer free. The government right. then becomes all-powerful, and you are living with tyranny. But you also ask yourself, why Why now? Why we're seeing a spate of this in the last 10 years, maybe, of all these shootings, school shootings since Columbine? We didn't see it all before. We're no longer a moral or religious uh, state, a country, right. for the most part. I mean, we've no, abandoned clear. God, and, and when you do that, the Constitution, no matter what laws man makes— you, they're not strong enough to stop the passions. Well, Fred, we, we I think we've done stories uh, over the last month or so. You know, George Barna has done some recent uh, polling. Yes, we talked uh, to him a few weeks ago. And 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 he, he is finding, and has been finding for decades now, mm -hmm. but the numbers in this latest survey he did were stunning about even Christians, Christian parents, Christian ministers not having a... Biblical, Christian, world biblical worldview. That's that's stunning. So to Steve's point, we are, even in the church, perhaps are no longer a religious and moral people in terms of still being connected to Christianity and the and the theology of the Bible. Yeah, it, it's, I, I had an opportunity over the last month or so to talk to Barna twice yeah. about his latest survey, and it really this latest survey really focused in on people who refer to themselves as Christians. Right. And he said the problem is, is that young people, one of the problems is that young people are looking at their parents who say the right things spiritually, but don't act it out. Yeah. That their behavior does not match what they are saying. And so young people are becoming disgruntled. George Barner, over the years, he's done these surveys now for decades. Yes. And he looks at what constitutes a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. One of the things is that uh, a belief in absolute truth. And the numbers who, of people now, including those who refer themselves as evangelical Christians, they don't believe in absolute truth anymore. And so what we have is uh, values of a non-Christian culture being adopted in the Christian community. Yes. For whatever reason, you know, we want to be seen as getting along with right. everybody, that kind of thing. Or, or just brainwashed or just, in schools and colleges and universities. Exactly. So uh, that's where we have gone. And so when that one ingredient, when you don't believe in absolute truth anymore, when you don't believe in a real heaven and a real hell, right? Uh, then you think, okay, there are no consequences for my actions. Therefore, I'll proceed. I mean, in this case, we're just learning the details. This man was unhappy with the results of his surgery. Yeah. So normally you would say, at the, you know, you might say, I'm going to visit with this doctor and let him know I'm not happy with or this. Or I'm going to see a lawyer. Or I'm going to see a lawyer. I'm going to sue. But now we've jumped to, well, I'm going to exact revenge on this man. Uh, I don't like the results of his surgery. I'm going to and punish him anyone, by killing. And anyone who gets in my way. Yeah. Yes. This guy, and my understanding is he... Obviously, even the, the surgeon, the doctor's innocent. He didn't do anything, you know, wrong. I mean, I, I, as far as... We don't know the medical, you know... Yeah, I'm not talking about like malpractice. That, I'm just, I'm just no, saying, did, you don't did. murder someone, no, be, he did even, be, even if he did. But he, he killed people who were just there visiting the doctor. 
at I'm the sure office. That, I'm sure that somebody came, uh, you know, got either in his way, challenged him, or uh, were just standing there, and he just yeah. didn't want to have to yeah. deal with him. Very All right. By the way, George Barnett has done a a great service to the uh, to the Christian community in this country by attempting to tease out what people really believe, not what they say. Yes. Because he started, I think, in the '90s, saying, "Okay, we got all these people who claim to be born again." Yes, and yet they, when you ask them what they mean by that and what they believe about, and the same thing with the evangelical community. So he's on a great, a great, a great service to people uh, like us uh, who are wondering what is happening to the church. Well, we're starting to find out that not as many people are actually Christian as we thought. So. Yes. All right, go ahead. So the Southern Baptist Church uh, the other day uh, released a report uh, by an independent bo uh, investigative body about how it's dealing with sex abuse. The investigative body was a, a company called Guidepost Solutions, and they uh, the, the 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 return was not nice. Was not really kind. It, they they found some uh, hiding and, and shaming of victims within the, uh, executive council, which is the body that runs the Southern Baptist convention when they're not in their actual convention, like they're going to be in, in Anaheim in a couple of weeks. And, uh, they also found that there was a, a staff lawyer who was keeping a list of, um, perpetrators of, of men who, um, almost all men, I think who had been, uh, convicted or confessed uh, to sexual assault. Well, they published that list as a as a show of good faith. They published a list, and uh, there's a TV station in Alabama, NBC 15 in Mobile, that uh, decided to take a look on the list, see if there's anybody local. And they did find a pastor uh, named Charles Brown in Mobile who's on the list. So they went and uh, got that stuff. They got the information from it, and then they went to the web to grab a picture of Charles Brown, and they put the picture and the the all the information up on the uh, on on their on their news broadcast. But the picture was of the wrong Charles Brown. Now, <laughs> the, this uh, they're both named. There's some remarkable coincidence. They're both named Charles Edward Brown, so they both had the same identical name. Um, he, the uh, abuser was from Lebanon Baptist Church in Evergreen, Alabama. The first church that the other, the innocent Pastor Brown pastored was Evergreen Baptist Church in Mississippi. And uh, so um, he, this guy is now trying to fend off false accusations from this list. And I, I talked to him the other day, and I just want to let you hear a little bit about what he has to say. Now, this, uh, this gentleman... The, the innocent pastor is like 80 years old. Or he's something. 80. Yeah, he's yeah. 80 years old, been in ministry for uh, what, 50, uh, 60 some years, 65 years, 40 some at the same church uh, and everything. So um, the, the guilty Charles Brown died a while back. But listen to uh, Charles Brown describe what's happened to him, cut eight. It's, it's devastating. And there's not much I can do about it. In four minutes, this guy destroyed. 80 years of my life. Uh, when the bell makes the dong, you can't put the dong back in the bell. Well, the, now the, uh, the, the local television station that did this, how have they responded to their error? They did do a retraction. Uh, well, a, a correction, I should say, and I'll, I'll let you listen to that. Cut nine. 
We need to make a correction this afternoon concerning a story we reported on NBC 15 at noon on Friday. The story was about the investigation into alleged sex abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. We incorrectly showed a picture of Charles Brown, who served as pastor of Government Street Baptist Church for 45 years. Dr. Brown is not under investigation. And so that, yeah. but, but to the innocent Pastor Brown's uh, point, uh, th there'll be a lot of people who saw that on the Friday that it was reported yeah. who yeah. thought, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Oh, look, oh, I he... saw my former pastor's pictures up there. Hey, Mary, did you see the yes. Pastor Brown? You can't get da, da, that da, da, back. Da, da. You can't get that back. No. Um, this was a concern of many, in fact, yes. I think including my boss, Fred Jackson, you might have known have yes. heard of him, yeah. uh, when this uh, list was released and when they proposed their um, ongoing list that they're going to maybe be keeping. You know, I, I just, uh, I... I understand, uh, and uh, I, something ought to be done when there are legitimate cases of sexual right. abuse. But the problem, and we pointed this out before, the problem with the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, it is unlike mainline Protestant denominations, they have a head office. Right. They, and the head office actually controls. There's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy. That is not the case with the Southern Baptist Convention. Each church is autonomous. They contribute financially to the broad Southern Baptist Convention for missions work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think the mistake that can be made is, is there going to be a national body now that tries to oversee autonomous churches? That, that, that is like oil and water. That's not going to mix well. I, I came up with a, an analogy I think that most people might understand. If you have two businesses in one town that are both members of the Chamber of Commerce, and one of those businesses is caught bilking customers, stealing or whatever, ripping off customers, you can't go to the other business and say, okay, you have to do background checks on all your employees because yeah. this other business was you know, doing bad things. Um, that's not the Chamber of Commerce's job. You, the Chamber of Commerce is very free to say you're kicking you out of the Chamber of Commerce. You're no longer associated with us, but they're not equipped to enforce law down to the members of their their gathering. Well, if if anything, also coming out of this, because there are autonomous churches, one of the concerns has been, well, so-and-so uh, -and -so in this church uh, was found guilty or was accused of uh, other churches who are looking for pastors ought to know. Well, that's why you should do background checks yeah. and find out. You call the churches where this individual served, and you ask very direct questions. But even even with that, you, you're going to have churches who will, who will think, I don't want to get sued. We don't yeah. want to get sued. Yeah. We don't. Uh, it's a very, it's very difficult. The, the real responsibility, it seems to me, lies with the deacons. Yes. And Southern Baptist, Baptist churches, they're for the most part deacons right. who uh, are in leadership. Uh, they're the ones who seem to have dropped the ball in some of these cases where if, the, if they were shaming the, you know, the potential or alleged victim, that's wrong. You, yes. should, you yes. should be wanting to get to the truth of a matter yes. Regardless of the consequences, but there, just for accuracy's sake, the report was not uh, taking that blame of shaming victims to the deacons of churches. It was to the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Church that said that that's who was afraid of getting sued and was yeah trying to basically sweep it under the rug. So this this will uh, obviously be something that'll be talked about 
in the upcoming convention. Right? I think it's you, going to be all about that. Yeah. It's going to be about that, but I, I wonder what the solution the Southern Baptist Convention is going to come up with at their meeting in Anaheim. If it is a list, you're going to see more trouble. Uh, like, pe- like we're talking about with this being Pastor Brown. misnamed. Uh, and particularly in cases where the pastor or whatever the case, the staff member uh, has not been found guilty. Uh, that's one thing. That's one group of people over here. But an accusation was made against somebody that was never proven. Now, this list, though, that you're talking about, these these were all people who either were convicted or confessed? Convicted, confessed, and they also have a category, say, credibly accused. Okay, that's... And what that means is, and I asked the yeah. Southern Baptist Convention, what do you mean by that? If they have had um, evidence, like by an investigative committee, some of these, like, abusers have passed on, Kent. Yeah. Um, but if they have had a... Uh, in fact, talk for a second while I, while I take right. a look and see if I can find the actual well, definition. That, that, that last category is a little iffy for me, credibly accused. Yeah. Because that is not a, a instance that has been deliberated, as far as I can tell, with the uh, possibility that the accused can, for example, confront his accusers. Yeah. You know, like you would if it's been investigated or tried in a court of law. Okay, so I have this. All right. A credit, this is from the Southern Baptist Convention. They sent this to me. A credibly accused pastor, denominational worker, or ministry employee or volunteer includes one who has confessed in a non-privileged setting who has been convicted in a court of law or has had a civil judgment rendered against them. Additionally, an independent third party who has been hired by any church or other Baptist body may determine by preponderance of the evidence following an inquiry that a pastor or denominational worker or ministry employee voluntarily is credibly accused. If they bring in uh, someone to do an investigation of the police, I don't if they didn't charge him, I don't know how that would... Yeah. Not well, it, it may qualify for the other two. Well, it may. It, it, you, there may not be a, a charge that's possible if, if a woman, for example, is over the age of accountability. I mean, uh, consent, age of but, consent. But here's the problem: you, you can, you, you certainly can't abuse someone who's over the age of consent. But there's a difference. No, but I'm saying it's not necessarily illegal. Well, this is the thing: there is a difference between sin and breaking the law. The, the, the. The law, the, the police are in charge of enforcing legal crimes right. or punishing crimes. The church is in charge of enforcing moral actions and sin. In other words, if right. I, if if someone has a pastor has an affair with his church secretary, um, they're not going to go on a sex abuser list. The police aren't going to be involved. There's nothing illegal about it. But the pastor's not going to be at the church any longer, right? Or nor well, the, I think you know. I think what I'm saying is. This credibly accused thing is where I, I – listen, I'm not Southern Baptist. I don't have a dog in this fight. You are, Fred. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, you go to a Southern Baptist church. Um, uh, my caution would be if you're going to have a credible accusation, it needs to be biblically based, which is out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. That's what the Bible says for accusations. It says elders are not to receive an accusation against an elder, uh, except out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. I have it, and, and, and well, and and what what's what's a problem is that if you're going to allow a male a pastor to be alone 
with a woman, you don't have two or three witnesses. Well, and, and I don't. And I'm saying I'm not sure you should put those people. Well, this is the thing. I mean, and I I spoke with Tom Askell, who is on, who's uh, a candidate for president of the SBC, and asked him how he would deal with it. And he is going to this. You need to follow biblical, biblical principles. Um, after you call police is what his first message is. If you have an accusation. Drop everything, call 911, right. get someone out there. But as far as uh, the witnesses, by definition, an abuse, especially against a child, is done in a, cl- a dark closet somewhere. It just right. isn't done in front of witnesses. Therefore, the perpetrator thinks, could think, well, if I, if I get out of sight, I'll get away with it. Yeah, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about not following through with investigations, Okay, I'm talking about this list. Okay, you, you, I, to me, that is where it gets dangerous. Yeah. You can have someone who's accused, then they're put on a list. They're not able. There's been no process. Right. That, that, that's what. That's all I'm saying yeah. is I would just I would just be cautious before you do that. I, and this Pastor Brown is a perfect example of how things can get messed up, and you can destroy someone mm-hmm. who's otherwise innocent. Well, I, I just go back. You know, if you have a you know, what's common in a Southern Baptist church, a pastor resigns, retires. They have a pastor search committee. Yeah. That pastor search committee has got to do due diligence on when they're looking at somebody, you better find out all about their background. I ought to be talking to the church where they are pastoring or have been pastoring. You need to have somebody, and there are investigative bodies out there that go back details through You've got to be careful of these things. I worry about a master list. Yeah. Uh, my concern is that some people may end up on there that should not be, and there are people who are not going to end on that list that should be. And, and I, I would just add this to this discussion. It is incumbent upon parents, for example, mm. not to automatically – I'm not saying this – is, this is so hard. I'm not saying be suspicious of your church leaders – but there should not be a case where you just simply drop your kid off yeah. at a church mm-hmm. and just say, "Well, go have fun." Okay, there need to be there needs to be a a procedure by which there are always adults who are chaperoning all these child events because you don't want what you're saying. And also, I think it's fair for a parent to ask the church, "What safeguards? Did you do a yes. background check on all these people? You know, have you checked to make sure? Do you have something?" Uh, in place so that uh, no uh, one worker is alone right. with the third graders or something like that. I yeah. mean, it's that's a fair question to ask. Yeah. yeah, that's what that's what we do at our church. We have background checks. You cannot work with kids or teenagers unless you have a an FBI background check or some something uh, of of that kind of extent. And no uh, no adult is ever alone with young people by themselves. Yeah. There's always other adults around. You just have to take those kinds of precautions. Because this country, uh, I'm not blaming pornography alone, but this country is awash in pornography, and that is twisting hearts and minds. You cannot make assumptions about your children and their safety. You've got to, parents, you have to be in charge of making sure you can do everything possible, although predators are always around. And pastors should welcome these precautions to save yourself and your own reputation. Uh, you ne- you ought to invite all of these precautions. Yes, that's right. All right, folks. Th- that listen, folks. I know that's tough stuff. What we're talking about, 
Uh, our hearts go out to the actual victims of a lot of this abuse. And if you know of that happening in your church or in your community, pray for those people. It can be a lifetime of, uh, of healing that uh, needs to take place. All right. That is all the time we have for this edition of today's Issues. More great programming directly ahead on American Family Radio. See you tomorrow.